Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Green Dragon Podcast. We are joined by two new voices on the cast today. We have Tim. Hi there. How you going? And we have Thomas. Hey, yo. We also joined by one of our co-hosts, Jeremy, today. Hello. And, of course, you have myself, Travis, as your host for this episode. This is episode three of the Green Dragon. That has gone so quickly. As opposed to... The first recording, it feels like yesterday. (laughs) It really does. I can't believe how quick that is. What was it? with the most boasts. Three years ago when we sat down for the first failed episode. Oh, God. No, it's longer than that. Four years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Four years ago when we tried to do this. Introducing the new War of the Ring rules. Yeah. Yeah. That was a Thanks, long. GW. Am I allowed to say that? Might, we might, we <laughs> should say actually whatever you like on this. Find, we might actually dig up that old pilot and try and flick it up at some like, post. Cool. Now I've derailed it within, <laughs> what, one minute of the podcast? Oh, I'm very easy Job to derail. done. Have, I'm have, out. Have you Much met me awaited. before? Anyway, as tradition, when we have some new voices on the show, we get them to sort of talk a bit about themselves. What you've done in the hobby before... Uh, what you're looking to do, what you're working on at the moment. Which players you idolized when you were growing up. <laughs> yeah, if you want to share that personal information, sure, why not? Cool. So, uh, Thomas, why don't you, we uh, start with you. And also, I believe you had just come off a tournament win too, have you not? Yeah, I think I did. Multiple. Um, well, yeah, I can't remember. Well, how about I start at the beginning? Yes. A very good place to start. At a long, long time ago. It is a while far, ago. Far away. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Well, my name's Thomas. I've been playing for a while. I won't say I've been playing since the very beginning, but it would be probably close. I remember getting... Which rules edition? That's usually well, what the we one... gauge on at the moment is... We, ca- we both came in at the start of the one rule book. Yeah. Yeah. So, when they brought it all together, yeah. the three movies all together. So, we both came in just as that kind of yeah. come out, so... Yeah, we started playing games then. I think even before then, like a box of Urukai and that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah taking it back. I think my first main memory was uh, playing in Complete Fanatic in like <laughs> 2000. I think all four of us were at that six. one, were it? Like yeah, I think so. Which one was that? Was that yeah. the uh, 17 yeah. Evil Armies that and Two was, Good Armies yes. one? Yes. And no. I believe you were running a very nasty Easterling Haradrim army. Yeah, it was the one where you only took and one. And Jeremy, you had that Urukai army. That Urukai army, and you had that eagle I army. Had yes, that eagle the army. I was that eagle guy. You were that guy, even then. Yep. Yeah. You were running and like goblins. Go- Gondor, yeah. Goblins. Goblins. Yeah, would have been say. Gondor back then. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Gond- Yes, because you were like one of the like two people in the entire state that had a mounted Baragond. Yeah. Yeah, but did we? Did we go to two complete fanatics? We went to one further down the track after. Yeah, yes, so that was bigger points. Because the second, the second one, you guys, you took dragons. I took the my. Flying dragon and dragon. goblins and no, stuff. No, no, that wasn't flying dragon. That was the on foot dragon. Yes, the because oh, the flying dragon. The flying dragon. That one favorite army. I won favorite army for that one. Yes. Yeah. Was it yeah. you oh, or your brother that won that complete fanatic? Um, uh, William won that second complete fanatic. Yes. Yeah, with like yeah. dwarves, it must have been. Yeah. 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 Old school, all metal. Yes. Nice. I remember so going jealous. up against his dwarves with and just. Hitting a, a wall with the eagles yeah. and going, ah, oh, crap. Scary, uh, yeah. I can't punch through these guys. Well, yeah, that was a, the beginning of a long love affair with Haradrim. And Easterlings have come and gone because, you know, yeah. as they do. I think for that one, I managed to score a, a Mouth of Sauron award, so that was pretty sick. And I remember playing 
Yeah, I think Jeremy's brother was actually there, rocking the beasts. Yeah, he could play spiders. Yes. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, Sheila and the Spider Queen yeah. and Barrowai, and yeah. everyone was cringing. It was just that army. That's right. Um, yeah, and Travis's eagles were rocking around the field, so it was a good memories. Um, and since then, I suppose on and off, um, I think I've had a few hiatuses away, but enjoyed playing it over the years. Been a fairly regular tournament hand, I would think. I've slowly grown to like. I enjoy a lot of tournament play, but I'm growing to like more the scenario aspect and the smaller points. Yeah. As Travis alluded to, most recently I won the Masters Australian Hobbit Lord of the Rings extravaganza, though rocking some more Haradrim, so it's been a good love affair, thanks to some of the new rules in the Black Numenorians. Yeah, so right now I'm working on trying as, to diversify a little bit. I was going to oh, say, yeah. as Tina would say, that meta. Yeah, it's it, well, <laughs> I suppose. I, I felt that was, uh, as much as I hate the word warranted, since Tina's not here yeah. at the moment to yep. uh, chip in. We'll just use it. Where's that meta counter? Uh, yeah, no, it's a powerful list. I think I ran two ring rates on Fell Beasts, a bunch of Black Numenorians with the Fight 5 upgrade, Spectres, Haradrim Bows. It was. And the most amazing mounted captain I've ever seen. Yes, he just kept on killing stuff. I had the, my <laughs> captain on a horse with not even a war spear as my leader, and he was oh, he was almost more of a man than the, the Witch King. But well, he outkilled Alindil in our contest of champions. Yeah, that's right. He's a story uh, for I another was, day. Yeah, <laughs> I'm wondering if we should go into that, because that was a pretty... No, please don't. I've had nightmares about that since... That was a pretty intense game, because I, t- I was TOing the tournament. Yeah. And I remember coming around that, Seeing that game do 180s yeah, in the matter crazy. of turns. Yeah, those spectres and that sap will Let's courage. just say your army should continue playing after the first turn. Yeah, that's right. Yes, it had so many back and forths. It was insane. Talk about a first battle for the tournament. One to remember. Yeah, that was crazy. But you yeah. seen just watching. I, I remember finishing my game and going over and I, just walking over to the table to hand in my sheet and I just saw... Thomas and Jeremy there at the table, and you could feel the energy pulsing off the table. Two generals like, looking over their armies. I, I think the it table. also didn't help that I think it was the... Uh, I think I was the one bent over the table right at that point. right next to the speakers as well. So you had like, the, um, what was it, drums in the deep? Yeah. 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 Like the treason of Isengard yeah. music in the background. Isengard music going nice in the clashy background. Fire this high, stuff. intense Lord of the Rings, you know, battle music going on, and these two are just trying to work out what they're doing with their armies on this table. Intense. So everyone, Masters 2015... Be there. It's going to be good. <laughs> oh, we hope it will be. That's the plan. That's the plan. It was an awesome tournament. It was absolutely awesome. I'm currently working on getting some little forces ready, some 300-point orcs, 300-point Gondor, trying to yeah. diversify what I've got because I've been a fairly consistent evil general, so I suppose i better try and... Yes, come over points. to the light side of the force. That's right, 300 points elves with Legolas. You'll go back to evil. Yeah, no, I, I'm not, not leaving evil. <laughs> Don't be dumb. <laughs> and I suppose... I don't know. I'll keep on doing tournaments every now and again. I suppose it's hard to fit it in, but, you know, we do because we like it. Yeah, I think it's more of the social aspect as well. It's yeah. Just getting everyone together and having a few laughs. And I think that's what made Masters so so good was the fact that we had a whole bunch of mates. And, you know, hell, I think that some of the best parts in the, the, that tournament was the dinner we had on the Saturday night. Yeah, that was, that was fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah. really good that the tournaments have sort of moved towards that social aspect, a lot of it. And you see a lot of the familiar faces as well. And it's a... It's a like a bit of a reunion, yeah, so it's good fun awesome. that way. Well, we'll come back to the tournaments in a moment. I want to jump to Tim and sort of get your uh, brief history. <laughs> well, my history is kind of similar to Thomas's, as in we've we've always been playing the game together. Like 
we, we got into the game together and, and Warriors of the West. Yeah, Battle of, Brothers. When, when we've had breaks, it's because, you know, we've both not been playing or, and other people in our group and then we've all kind of got back into it together. So we got back into it. We first got into it, I think, in 2005. So like Thomas said, I think we both had some exposure to it and the odd model and whatever. Yeah. I think we decided it was something we wanted to play. So I, rem- I actually remember we were both in our year 12 year in that year and we both decided that we would get into this game at the end of the year as a reward of finishing our exam. So I remember going off to Games Workshop Melbourne Central like a week after we finished our exam, went in and halved at Mines and Mario. Oh, that would have been the old Melbourne Central. Yeah, yeah old, that's right. Yeah. Central and we, we halved the Mines and Mario box and I think I took the gold. Old school. And yeah, we started playing from there. So yeah, no, that was really good. And I think my first club was Minas Tirith. I loved the Gondor. And and from there, I moved into Mario Goblins as well. And they were like my two main armies that I've got. Mainstays. That yeah. I've played a lot of and got heaps of. I guess more recently, I've really liked kind of the monsters and the beasts thing. So I've done, done a few dragons and I've got my most recent army was the old spiders and wolves. I believe you have a Goblin Town army too. Yeah, and Goblin, I did Goblin Town. With one of the best so. Goblin Town display boards. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say that as well. Yeah. Master of display bases. That's, I, I guess, a recent love. Like, I, I've always been kind of into making the terrain and I kind of, I think I got better at it over the years, but I've been kind of the terrain maker for our group. And then, Choo-choo! Oh, wait. <laughs> what? And then, yeah, more recently I've started making the display boards and really enjoyed just making really kind of and running tournaments as well. Yeah, so that's that's something that I wanted to do way back when when we first got started. Well, well, when Travis first started running tournaments and and yep. showing us that it didn't have to be Games Workshop to run a tournament, mm. which was a new thing I think for all of us. And and I I thought to myself back then, I'd love to have a go at that. That's something that seems like it'd be really fun to do. Mm. And then, but I never eventuated just being too busy and not really having anywhere to do it. Yeah. It just so happened last year that I managed to find a place to do one and I had a bit more time up my sleeve, so I just decided to do one this year. And so now, yeah, run two this year, in fact. So I guess at the moment, well, I've got some more plans for some display boards and I'd love to go back and kind of do some more terrain, kind of refurbish all of my old terrain stuff. At the moment, I have a bit of a space issue that I'm currently living in a bungalow. Yeah. So hopefully, a hobbit hole. Sometime in the future, I'm going to be able to find some more space, and I can work on terrain. But yeah, and I also want to, I also want to kind of, I think, come next year, maybe do a different army I haven't done before, something really different, breakaway, Gondor or goblins. And I haven't quite figured out what yet, but I want to. I, want to I think the yeah, I think the old pointy ears would be the, uh, yeah. a good choice, maybe, or the maybe, um, maybe elves. Yeah, and also or the Eisen. I've got my fingers crossed. I want there to be a small model. I think we're all fingers crossed for yeah. that smog model. As soon as that comes out, yeah, that'd that, be great. That's gonna be awesome. So yeah, that's that's me at the moment. We'll uh, take a quick break now, and then uh, we'll be back. Be looking at tournaments and how to go about going to a tournament, possibly even running your own. But more about playing in a tournament, how to go about it, sort of getting your armies together and stuff like that. And because I think it's safe to assume or say that everyone here at the table is. Uh, a veteran tournament player, Fairly experienced. Uh, playing in a few of them. Travis is saying we're old. Yeah, <laughs> we've been playing it for a long time, but yes, yes, we we are old in comparison to uh, to people who are younger. Yes, that's a good comparison, Travis. Well done. 
I can count. <laughs> so uh, we'll be back in a moment. And we are back once again. Here I'm again joined with Jeremy, Thomas, and Tim. And we're uh, going to be talking about tournaments and stuff. I'm, mostly I'm, tournaments, hopefully. Yeah, mostly yeah. tournaments. You know, I'm actually just going to open this up to the table. Uh, what do you guys expect from tournaments these days? All right. Well, first, yeah, I'm jumping in. <laughs> who's who's um, the bravest? Yeah, I suppose looking back, well, these days tournaments are are a high quality. Wherever you go, and generally whoever's been running it, steel sharpened steel, and you've got a lot of people who are running some high level tournaments. So that's stepping up the game of everyone else. You've got some awesome players packs. You've got a lot of organisation. You've got good venues. You've got tables that are filled with absolutely amazing terrain, and you've got some high level players, particularly in the Melbourne scene. So you'd be prepared for a challenge. You'd be prepared to have some fun. You'd be prepared for some good memories. Yep. Tim, you want to add to that? or? Yeah, well, I think I remember when I first started going to tournaments years and years ago was and when they were mainly run by Games Workshop, it was just to kind of meet and play with more players. Yeah. That was the main thing for me, just being able to play against some other people. And I think, as we were saying before, like the, the social aspect these days has definitely started to ramp up and with the tournaments and it's just being able to, yeah, have a good time with other World of the Rings players, but also to kind of, you know, now we're playing a lot more outside of tournaments as well to kind of test your knowledge of the game yeah. and try out armies in, in a competitive sense and, yeah, really test your medal against other people. And, and for me, it's not always about trying to win, but it's about having fun and having confidence in what you're taking to play and, and trying to do your best. And, and see if, if you can cut it. And if not, uh, that's all right, as long as you had fun as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and I look forward to just getting together with people, playing three or four games in a day, maybe over two days, displaying the armies. That's my favourite part is to walk yeah, around looking look. at mm. all the work that people have done, be inspired by their ideas yeah. at times, or just plain copy them at times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that, that's part of my favourite part. I like putting out my armies as well because I put a bit of effort into that. And catching up with people you don't often see. We, we've got our yeah. own groups that we play with quite a lot. And it's really nice to be able to play some people who are different side of Melbourne yep. or different state or different yeah. country, depending on what we've done. Really yeah. good to catch up. Yeah. A lot of yeah. the time, me and Tim are yeah, from the West Side, so we don't see a lot of these guys except out in tournaments. So it's really good to catch up, see how they're all going. Mm. Yeah, because one thing sort of I know uh, with Melbourne at least is we sort of got these pockets. You got this yep. group in the west side of the suburbs, one sort of in the sort of central sort of Camberwell area, and then yeah. our group that's sort of out in the east. So mm. we don't generally cross cross ponds, as it were. We try not to as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, dirty east siders. It's sort of <laughs> keep the blood pure and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> with these sort of new tournaments that are being run, it's being broken down a bit. We're getting games against. Bit more often against some of these other groups, and it's. I think it's a. It's a good thing, not not necessarily. Yeah, some of them are actually okay people. Yeah, <laughs> contrary to popular belief. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, and doubling what Jeremy said about seeing the you know the awesome range of armies, it is just so inspiring. Rocking up and seeing so many cool conversions, and the Melbourne scene is great because you very rarely see an army that's not painted to a you know mm. a, a either medium to very high standard. I think actually in the last couple of tournaments, there hasn't there. I don't think, especially no. in Melbourne, yeah. there hasn't been a tournament where there hasn't been an unpainted army. Yeah. Every army has been painted. Yep. Mm. So it's that's great. And Masters, lots of them have... unpainted yeah. and still there wasn't yeah. any unpainted. And lots of them have awesome conversions and awesome freehand and awesome yeah. 
Yeah, I think a lot of that's come down to the um, the players' pack have sort of evolved to give people a lot of points yep. for their yeah. presentation, and people yeah. have really taken that and run yep. with it. They've they've done some amazing work, and I don't know, was he one of your tra- tournaments, Travis, where you introduced the freehand as a point? Yeah, and then you yeah, had a just, couple of complaints, and then it just everyone painted yeah, white yeah. hands I think on their army. People or? were a bit intimidated at first, was sort of oh, I have to do freehand on my models when the points were there for basically to make you have a go. Because people mm. weren't really sort of willing to push their painting mm. and their sort of their hobby abilities further. And I think that's sort of what Josh and myself did was we started adding a bit more points and some more prizes for those sort of hobby aspects. And it started people guys started getting interested in them. Yeah. And then they started upping the ante and upping the ante and upping the ante and you sort of get what we have now. We'll still mm. paint our armies the night before, but at least we'll add in some freehand. Yeah, we paint them <laughs> yeah, well yeah, the yeah. night before. <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to change. I think that's nah. just a trait. Of, it is not uh, this day. One of the rules, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two hours sleep, full of caffeine, and away you go, play. Now, Jeremy, you mentioned before the points with tournaments and the scoring and how people go about it. Obviously, it, these are tournaments. You're, I did. You're here to try and get the first place, as it were, but obviously that's not the main reason why we're here. Yeah. We're See, the, the problem is that whenever you're playing, most people are going for the second place. So that's ah, it. I see. So what you're saying is I should stop playing in tournaments. <laughs> well, once you run them, that's that's pretty much helpful. Uh, um, go on. I've yeah. interrupted your question to try and put you off topic. <laughs> you nearly had me. I will admit, you nearly made me. I'm pretty sure that's like a two plus cast. <laughs> <laughs> I can still roll the one with the best of them. <laughs> yeah, had something successfully cast. Or? <laughs> yeah. Question Travis about points. Has been put off. <laughs> Scoring system. Here. How uh, do I achieve more points might, than my fellows? <laughs> using my yes, <laughs> obviously we're going. We're still trying to play at a competitive level and trying to sort of push our abilities in the game and stuff. But how do we? I know a lot of players sort of struggle with balancing that, having fun with winning the game. How do you guys go about? How do you approach a tournament? What do you sort of expect from a tournament and what do you want to see at a tournament when you go to one? That's a very general question. I mm. think you're going something more specific and you've just opened yeah, it yeah, right yeah, up. Like Can I we be more you... specific, please? Can you refine the question? <laughs> are we talking armies or are we talking preparation style? the week yeah, before the day? Yeah. I had I'll be honest, I had something before and then I was trying to recover my thought and it just <laughs> yeah. wasn't and happening. And it's just I'm gone. Just like, you have failed I'm as a talking host. now. I got to keep talking. By Jeremy. Well, you could go with before the week, before the tournament preparation. Yeah, let's go pre- preparation. preparation. We'll yep. start with preparation because mm-hmm. that's usually the first thing you do with the with a tournament. Pick up a players pack, you look at it. What are you looking for in a players pack and what do you do to prepare yourself? Bonus points. What? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um you can only control so much when you go into a tournament. You want to be able to do your best. Ideally, you want to be fighting for a place in the last round and still have it relevant to you. That's that's sort of the idea and, and what you hope for. It doesn't always happen, but it's always good fun. So I look through and just check how they're going to score it and see if there's any points I can get and guarantee before I've even gone to the tournament. Mm. So if it says yep. things like, put your name on your army list, I'll put my name on my army list. If it says, paint your army, I'll paint the army. If it says... Yep. You get an extra point if you only take one ally or less. Or I'll make sure I do that. Or if you a certain time before. I think the biggest mistake people make is that they, they don't read the players pack. They might, yep. they might skim over and say, hey, 500 points, cool, I'll make an army and I'll go, you know. But if they're really serious about winning, you, you go through that players pack with the fine tooth comb and you yep. see how the organizer is going to do things and then you, you 
steer yourself in the direction things. that you, you need to go to be able to get all those points. And if there's any ambiguities, then you contact the organizer and say, hey, what about this, you know, and yeah. ask those questions so that you can be sure that you're going to get those points. I think just saying, oh, I'm going to go to the tournament, I'm going to take this army and I'm going to win is not going to get you there because you have to actually have that drive and that motivation to to look at all those extra things and, and put in that extra effort. So you, you go into the tournament running as opposed mm-hmm. to just, oh, I've got a few points. Let's see if I can win some games. Now. There's a lot of high-level players around that every point counts. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, Absolutely. Yeah, whatever And it is. you can go through and usually the tournament organizers, I found, score on how many points you get in a battle and they all have their own way of doing that. They have points on how you present your army in some way. They have points on like a sportsmanship score and how you behave essentially at the event. And then often they have something sneaky in there as well where you have to, it's a bit of a trend at the moment, to read through the pack and you tell them a secret password or go pat them on the head or rub their bald spot or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Grab their one what spot. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> and you get, you get bonus Stop points for it. Now, <laughs> I'm not sure if I like this behavior. Bonus but <laughs> but uh, if you've got to do it, you've got to do what you've got to do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. You've got to make sure that you're on top of that player's pack, whether it's as simple as just checking what scenarios you're going to mm. be playing. So you're going to know whether you need a strong leader or you need you know, something like that. Or that's right, checking if there's any secret points available, be registered by a certain time. Mm. My favorite is to actually check the timeline of the event yep. because I play a different army if I'm going to have an hour and a half to play a game, whereas I'm comfortable to play a game in about two hours, two and a half hours is really comfortable. If I have to play in an hour and a half, I have to take an army that's going to move quickly, get a result mm. quickly, and win or lose quickly. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be sitting there when the tournament organ is saying, you've got one minute to go and still stuffing around in the middle Moving of the game. I want to finish the a game. Yeah. I hate not finishing a game. Yeah, I think I think uh, just on that, Jeremy, is when you're playing in a tournament, you always want to be trying to get a result. I think stalling for a draw or trying to... I've seen players do it times and time before. I had it done against me as well. And I'll be honest, I've done it myself. I've seen myself in a losing position, so I try and stall the game out and whatever. Mm. This is not what you want to try and do. You want to get a result. You want to be honest with the tournament and everyone else at the tournament. You've all paid to come to the tournament. You're all there to have a good time. You want the results to reflect that. You want to have have an answer, basically, to how your game went. Well, you're playing with people, and yeah. oftentimes yeah. the tournament organizers will reward you for that for sportsmanship. Yeah. But the bottom line is... Some games are going to go good, some games are going to go badly, mm. and you want to be able to, you want to challenge the person up across from you. Ideally, yeah. you want to beat them down and not give them a single mm-hmm. point, but you can't, can't do that very often. So what you want to do is make it hard for them, make it challenging, but you want to make it fair. You don't want to, you don't want to win a game or get a draw because you sat there trying to count the number of models yep. you had for too long, or you had to stay there and think, should I use this might or not? Mm. Yeah, I think, mm. I think with that, line from Travis that's taken us from pre-weekend preparation to the actual yeah. on the day. Yes, a bit, yes. bit organic yeah. there. Yeah, that's right. When you're specifically looking at those matches, that's right. You should, you're always trying to fight for every point. And even if you're, you know, if all your dudes are dead except for one hero or something, you've got to keep trying to look towards those objectives. You've got to keep the objective in mind. And you obviously want to try and deny your opponent every point, but you don't do that by taking a really long time on your turns. You try to do it by strategically, you know, denying yeah. them. And not by taking away things like sportsmanship points just yeah, to yeah. just to be silly. Like those sort of it's it's game. You're trying to take every point off them in game. Yeah. But if they've painted their army nicely and you get a chance to score that, give them an appropriate score. And I think the Melbourne scene is really good for that. That's, I think that's there's, true. Yeah. We're lucky there. Awesome I, I tournament. Think even um, close battles. Just broadening out to wider Australia as well. I haven't had 
really any issues sort of in Sydney, Adelaide, Brisbane, mm. not for a very, very long time. And, and I think that's Travis really... probably is the w- most well-traveled of us all, so. Absolutely. Uh, yes, I will, I will take, I will take that. Mr. What was it, 16 uh, tournaments in there. a year sort of thing? Whoa. I played 18 and one. 18, okay. Oh, oh yeah. Played 16. One sixteen. okay, I gotcha. Played 16. Ah, <laughs> uh, we get to the truth yeah. of the matter. <laughs> But so, yeah. Yeah. I think what Thomas was saying about objectives is really important. Like I see a lot of, I play a lot of people in tournaments but at varying skill levels that they come into the game and the only thing they're thinking about is defeating you in terms of killing you, as in kill as many guys, yeah. beat the army down, and if they, I do that, then I'm going to be able to win. Tunnel vision. But I won uh, three of the four games I won at Masters. I was courted. The game ended because I was caught it, yet I won three of them. And that's because I was the whole game focusing on the objectives, you know, playing towards objectives, and my opponent would often forget about the objectives and just go for killing me and leave those objectives open. So you've got to always think about the scenario you're playing and play to... Play that scenario. Don't just play the game. Play the scenario. You got. Yep. It's. I think that's the biggest bit of advice that I give players in tournaments that I see time and time again is people they aren't playing the scenario. They're just playing the game to kill things, and that's uh, that's not the way to play if you want to win the tournament. Which is very interesting because one of my my favorite tactics for tournaments and most play is to try and distract the opponent from the objectives. So I'll often take some models and just do something totally unusual with them that the people don't expect. Send a hero out to the flank, Mm. um, leave some bowmen somewhere on their own, just do something to confuse them. And people know that that because I've usually got something planned, they'll overguess it, overthink it, and then just start forgetting about the objectives. And that's once they've forgotten about the objectives, you know you've pretty much got them. Because yep. even for one turn, if you've forgotten about the objective, it might be enough for me to jump on an objective or for me yep. to take a shot at the hero or for oftentimes my own army will break, but I'm sitting on top of the, yep. what's the scenario where you have Domination to hold the middle? Or oh, hold ground. Hold ground yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Quite often I'll just throw my whole army there, end up dying, and then the end of the game I've won because it ends at, what, half or a quarter? Yeah. I can't yeah. remember. Or like Domination where you're... Your main armies are fighting in the middle, and your army gets yeah, destroyed. Yeah, I've got a couple got guys on the, side. the other objectives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah good no, stuff. I, I completely agree agree with that as well. And it's I think that's what you need to do when you come into a tournament is look at those scenarios and go, how am I going to play these scenarios? What am I going to do to get wins in these scenarios? Where am I going to get points in these scenarios? And play for those points. Yeah. And have a plan. If it doesn't work, try yeah, something different. Don't give up but, halfway through. Yeah. But don't give up. Never give up because they're... It's dice. The, it is. Yeah. And the models aren't dead until you've removed them from the table. Yep. The game isn't over until the final victory conditions. While you've got models on, you can still win any scenario. It might be a long shot. It might yep. be statistically unlikely. But have a go at it. It yeah. happens and sometimes. That's, and that's the thing as well is the game can swing around in an instant. Yep, so like, you might be down 10, 15 kills, but... If you go, all right, I'm down, you look at everything that's going on and go, all right, what can I do to, to salvage a win? Time and time again, we've seen players yeah. pull a yep. victory from the jaws of defeat. Yep. Time and time again, it's because they stopped, went, all right, I'm in a bad position at the moment. How do I turn this around? And then they do it. They turn it around and they somehow pull out a win and their opponent looks at the table gobsmacked because... They thought they had the game wrapped up. Or even yeah. pulling out a draw or even like yeah, a, min- right. yeah. a minor Something loss. Pulling a minor loss out of a, the jaws of a major loss can help or, you. Yeah. Your opponent. Holding your own. Well, I, I see players get 
why you know their big hero gets killed at the start of the game and yeah. and then that's it they're going to give up they're not going to bother trying now because they've lost their main starting yeah. point Boromir captain of the white tower yeah. went in charged Bolg and then yeah. Bolg took off Boromir's head and yeah. he was like I'll give up well, don't, in fairness Charles kept playing in that game he was just very <laughs> sad <laughs> but I so think, sad I think the point to make there is yes some armies have one big point which you want to put your focus on but don't don't think about that as being your only thing that you got there. You do, even though that may be the best thing in your army, you still have a whole other army there that can yeah. do things. Yep. Then focus on those. They can still do damage in their own way if you play them right. Yes, yes, you have a Balrog and 48 mm. Goblins, but you have a Balrog and 48 yeah. Goblins. You still outnumber the opponent. You still got 48 Goblins on the table. You can still use them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think looking at it from a bigger point of view as well, say, for instance, you lose the first game of a, of a tournament, don't then lose heart and think, oh, I'm out of this tournament. Like, the game is so dynamic that, you know, people are going to get draws, people are going to lose points, people are going to, you know, take hits in painting scores or whatever. You're always still in it. And as long as you stop thinking about your last defeat and think how hey, you're going to win the next one, mm-hmm. that puts you in a better stead than going, man, I can't believe I made that mistake. And, you know, missing the mistake that's in front of you. That's happened to me so many times this year. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I go into the first game and I'm all confident. I've got my army laid out. I have a great thing. And then the dice go, nope. Yeah. And my opponent says, nope. <laughs> and I end up with zero Why? points. And I, you start again. But you just put that game out of your mind. Because you yep. can only deal with Keep the coming. one game you've got at the time. Mm. And, yeah, I didn't get any points for that game. That's right. I'll just get more for the next game. So just play the next game. Yep. Try to try to get well, as many as I can. Just on that as well, just quickly with Masters... You both yeah. did have a defeat at Masters, did you not? I had two. Well, yeah. <laughs> I had a pretty serious one. So, yeah, mm. go into that if you want to. <laughs> so that, yeah. So oh, I, I was just more sort of showing that, because sometimes obviously you won Masters and yep. Jeremy plays just behind So you. that just seconds, goes to show that we're seconds. actually not as good as we think we are. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it also goes to show about chasing those points. In the the both games that I lost, I still managed to get based on the scoring for Masters, I still managed to get a lot more points in those two games than I lost than some people are actually getting when they won a game. And so I just kept on chasing after every point that I could. In one of them it backfired because I really was trying to be ambitious and trying to get one extra point that actually I shouldn't have gone for. I should have just <laughs> taken my <laughs> taken what yeah, I had. Yeah. I think that happened to everyone though. Yeah. That was <laughs> that was the brilliance of the scenarios yeah. there was you, you went for that I gotta win more. I gotta win more, mm-hmm. and then it backfires. You go, oh no, I've lost. And more. That's right. Knowing yeah. when to, you know, when to no, hold your cards no, no, and when yeah. to fold and that them. That can and be a really hard thing. Never. To tell <laughs> is to, yeah. When do you let up a bit, and when do you yeah. go all out? You know, because it can backfire at you. Yeah, I think that just simply comes down to experience and just playing games. Yeah, practice. Think the best thing people can do before a tournament is just play games. It doesn't have to even be with your tournament army. I I know a lot of. Um, sort of back a few years ago, you and me, Jeremy, what we used to do before tournaments was we just play games with different armies that we we were thinking about using or we were were concerned about yep. coming up. Or, we or, actually, that yeah. was, for a while, we were taking things that we didn't want to play against. So, yeah. Yeah. Travels would say, I'm worried about playing the Army of the Dead. So, I'd bring yeah. an Army of the Dead army Which and, and have a go at that. Yep. And then yeah. we'd work it out and go, yeah, it's pretty good in the Terror, but it doesn't have any hitting power. So... And we can start looking at its weaknesses. And, and once you've played with an army, you can pretty much work out where it's what it good, is. Where it's bad, and yeah. if you're doing it with friends, you could pretty much proxy it as well. If you wanted to do that and was, you're really scared of the Balrog or Sauron, put a model down to the same size, have a go yeah. at it and... Fight get, it with yeah, some spiders, yeah. Yeah. paralyze it. Or even <laughs> yeah, that's tap, right. into your, tap into your mates. Like I know you and me, Jeremy, we've swapped... Like when we play scenarios, we've swapped <laughs> which side we're playing... 
<laughs> I had a really nice point to make there. As you were whoop. saying, we've swapped sides, and, and that's right. And and sometimes there's been times when, like, you've had an elf army, and I've looked at them and gone, I'm sick of playing against this elf yeah. army. And one of the ways to do it is to swap over and then to apply of. my dice rolls to it and see that it can actually be destroyed pretty easily. <laughs> mm. You can see the best way to get it killed. Tap into your friends. <laughs> um, but definitely, and coming back to the preparation before the day, now. if you can, you know, decide on an army list, decide on based on what the scenarios you're playing and then actually play test it and tune it, that way you're also more, you know, you'll enjoy more the game because you're more confident in the list. Even if you, you know, lose a few matches, you can at least say, look, I've put in a lot of effort and I've, I've made a nice army and it's not just finished for today, I've got it for the rest of, you know, my gaming career. You put some effort into that list. Yeah. You know. Uh, I think I think that's one thing that you always look at, Jeremy, is whenever you go into a tournament, it's doesn't matter if I win or lose. At the end of the day, I've painted up a new army that I'm gonna be able to pull out whenever I whenever I want. And yeah. I'll be a better player the next time I'm mm. you know, next match I'm Oh, in. that's right, and and you learn from it. But that's I always try and make sure that I'm either painting something new for the tournament, so it's usually adding to an army, filling it out, um, filling in a missing troop type. So I've taken some really rubbish lists just because I wanted to yeah. take some some things. <laughs> I'm thinking of Dunland. Yeah, the Dunland, yeah. the, uh, Ooh, the Dunland. Five Eagles and Radagast Army. Yep. Um, Sif. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's been some been some odd ones there just to finish the collection. But I feel the same with the Best Painted. Like, I, I, I enjoy getting Best Painted. I like doing that. But, you know, it doesn't always happen. For those of you who don't know, he always gets Best Painted. <laughs> <laughs> but... But that's because he is an absolute master and puts in a lot of effort. I certainly uh, am. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> thanks, for that. thanks for that. That's very nice. Uh, but the bottom line is I've created something and I've got this army to keep forever and play with yep. forever. And sometimes I found... Don't just um, bin it after the tournament's over. Yeah, don't, don't bin it. Try not to. It's really or, tempting. Or sell it. However tempted you yeah, are. Yeah, selling it always breaks my heart when I see people's painted armies up on selling pages and that. And I just mm. think... Hold on to it because you're going to regret that in yep. three, yeah. four years' time when you Definitely. want to go back and, and pull out your old Numenor army that you've sold off. You can use bits of it for other yep. armies. You know? Repaint, whatever you want. At the very least, chop it up and put it on your bases as dead models mm. if it's that bad. Uh, but no, I, I really like the idea that I come in and after a tournament, I've had great fun. I've probably got a sample of the army. Oftentimes now I don't play the army before a tournament just because mm-hmm. it's a time factor more than anything. Mm. Yeah. But afterwards, I know what the army does. I know what I like. I start thinking of scenarios I want to design with it. Oftentimes I think of what terrain I want to make for it or what sort of stories I can put into. Sometimes yeah. an opposing force. So if I've taken a force I really like, my oh. Numenor is a recent example. I love that story aspect. It's cool. I've suddenly gone back to, oh, I really want the old mortar orcs and I want mm-hmm. to do some last alliance stuff. So going back into the scenarios and playing that yeah. and... Or you'll see other people's ideas and you'll go, hey, they allied that, you know, mm. and gave it a really cool backstory. I'm going to add that into my army or I'm going to, you know, mm. mix Absolutely. mine around. I yeah. think I think that's a really in, important point about, like, army selection. You know, it's, I mean, for me, is like, like, a lot of, I think people often think, like, you know, what's the best army? What's the best thing at the moment that I can play that's going to give me the win? You know, when I go, when I head into a tournament about taking an army, for me, it's, well, what do I like the look of? Yeah, yeah. I like that. What what do I want to play now? And then I kind of start with that starting point. So it might be I want to play a dragon, you know, or or I wanted to. Like I think for Ark at the start of the year, my thing was I wanted to play dragon with Goblin Town, right? And that was my starting idea. So for then, I worked out my list, the composition of it, 
with those parameters in mind, right? So that's what I'm starting with. That's what I want to do. Okay, so what's the best list I can make from those parameters? Well, how can I tune that, pray test it, tune it so it works? Not just thinking about what is the best absolute list I can make. What's the best list I can make of this stuff? And I think with the way the game is and the way the game is designed, there's really no sort of best list because I'm thinking back the past half dozen tournaments that, have been sort of going around. I'm looking. Harad have got a win on the on the board. There, Woses have got a win on the board. Delamroth have got a win on the board. Yeah. Uh, what one in New Zealand? Uh, Josh won in New Zealand with Mordor. Mm. Did Dog he win first? Dor got second, a win up second. Yeah. Sorry, second with Mordor. Yeah, yeah he he really stuffed it up. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Josh, pick it up. Yeah, this New Zealanders really mm. showed him how to play. Good. <laughs> Put now, him now. down a peg. <laughs> Cross-continental war, shots fired. (laughs) (laughs) Now, basically, we see a mixture, and that's partly because the people who've been playing a long time change their army list regularly, Mm. and sometimes you get an advantage by doing that because people are used to playing what's perceived as good. Most people played against Urukai or Goblins or or Gondor. Black Numenorians have have been around a bit. Spectres. Black those Numenorians and Spectres. Yeah. Those guys, Black Numenorians, Spectres, and Ringwraiths. Man, some people are scum. (laughs) Absolutely. But... People start getting used to it and sometimes just throwing something in front of them that might not be particularly strong, Woses, um, and having I people not know to how to differ. beat it, attack the Woses, is <laughs> <laughs> a really interesting uh, exercise at tournaments. Yeah, that's true. And dare I use the word meta, but it, it changes so fast. So um, that, can you can we edit that out and you can use a different word? Yeah. <laughs> I'll splice TNN in onto that yeah. bit there. <laughs> So what's that? We're up to, what, three now on the Medicare? I'm not sure. <laughs> Something. That's right. There's almost not a consistent enough thing because everyone like, loves switching it up. You see, I think there were quite a few Harrod at Masters, but then there were no Harrod at the New Zealand um, GT. And Correct. Yeah, it's, you know, all kinds of stuff. So it's really cool to see how people can switch it up, make it interesting. And I think and once you hit that sort of uh, 16, 14 player mark, the amount of different armies... It it sort of becomes irrelevant. Like yeah. the amount of different types of armies we had at Masters, Silmarillion, um, just across the board, just the amount of different armies that they like. You can't say that one army is stronger than another when there's so many being played, and yep. so many are placing up near the top. Yep, that's right. And you, you only end up playing three or four or five or six in a tournament yep. anyway. So if there's yeah. so twenty different armies, play, that's right. mm. it's really relevant. You might get a run where you play all elves for a tournament. You might play mm-hmm. all mortal. You might play all harrod, and it might change up. So it's that's yep. really that's sort of not relevant. All the armies have an ability to win the game. The games, you got enough models there that you can do what you want to do with it. So mm. take the one you like. Um, take the one you want to paint. Take the one that you enjoy losing with. Because if you enjoy losing, you're gonna have a good yeah. day. Yep, that's right. Yeah. But yeah, I've been taking but, fun stuff. Yeah, fun, fun. Army's just the same. Monsters. Taking armies, you know. Yeah. I take the beast army just because I wanted to run an army that was all all beasts. All I think. I think what I love about that beast army yeah. is you look at you, you look at it placed down on the table in front of you. You go, "What do I do against this?" Yeah, yeah. because it's a whole bunch of div- like odd, weird base sizes yeah. and it's just a crazy list. Lots In fairness, I think Tim does that as well. Lays it down on the table and goes, what the hell am I going to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? Yeah, how the hell do I... I've got this army. It looks great. What do I do with it now? Yep. <laughs> but but it was funny with that army because I did make it, you know, not knowing how to use it, but then... I play tested quite a bit. I played a lot of games in the lead up to the tournament, so I took it too. And it really, that really helped with helping me work out how I did 
want to play it, yeah. what were the best things to do? Remembering the things like her. Enraged Beast, queen. the Spider Queen. Oh. Oh. No, <laughs> the Bat Swarms, dear bat Lord. Swarm. All, all that, like. A lot just of Enraged things. Beast in general. It can be. A, you might think you've got over all the rules, but there can be little things that you don't register on. Yeah. Unless you, when you, until you start playing with it. And then if you play with it once and think, oh, that's good. I remember that. Take that to the tournament. I remember um, game. actually one tournament up at KJ's. Um, I took Kardush and a Ring Wraith on Felbeast. I totally forgot about Kardush. has a second special rule where he can kill himself to give a Ring Wraith yeah. rule. Mm. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this ability and I used it. Gave the ring back, Rafe, back another five points of will yeah. on his fell beast, and he kept flying around munching on more right here. Om nom nom. Yeah. Ah, those ring rates on fell beasts. Okay, so speaking of terrain, let's talk about terrain. I guess you want to move on then. I do, I do, I do. I want to talk about terrain. All right. <laughs> I was well, promised terrain. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, so we'll move on to our second part of our podcast today, which is terrain. But yes. more importantly, <laughs> how to go about creating an entire table. Now, I, in a past podcast, we talked a little bit about how to quickly sort of put together terrain from what little you had and sort of how to go about starting it. Now, we're sort of going to look at a bit more in depth and how to make a board, like a 6x4 board, a 4x4, a, a table for you to play on with your mates, uh, to take to a club day a or whatever. table worthy of competition. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Or yeah. Mordor, whatever. Cause, um, you take up I, all your space in the garage. Yeah. A few mm. of the uh, players the here at the table have uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. made some tables of terrain, I think uh, would be a safe assumption to say here. Yeah. Don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> what Travis is saying is that Tim and I are here for our terrain-making skills, for we have both made tables that are amazing. Thank you, Travis. That was a really nice yeah, compliment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, thank you. I was <laughs> hoping one of you were going to interject yeah. earlier and sort of they cast the no, 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 table go with it, on a roller or one or higher. Yeah, yeah it sort of didn't happen. <laughs> now, Tim's, Tim's, can you tell us a little bit about your was it Dweller Dweller Yeah, Dweller. Yeah, yeah, the the, the board there because we played that on that a few times. And yeah, that's right. Where's yeah, that? I can't say it. It's, it's a stippler from pronunciation. Where is that kitchen? Board? The uh, the Moria board. Well, it's interesting both. The main boards I have at the moment, which is just a general woodland grass one and a, a Moria one, that I started making terrain for them originally because I was decided I wanted to make everything I needed to play through the Fellowship of the Ring journey yep. book. So I was following through... Other memories. Yeah. <laughs> Major uh, respect for that, playing through the scenarios. Yeah, so I, I was uh, yeah following through... The, and that book actually has some really great guides... As to making terrain, that's what really got me started. And a lot of the tips and tricks I picked up from following instructions through that mm. and then adding to it myself with, with other ideas I came up with. Um, Battle games as well. Yeah. yeah. So, Lots of good stuff. So look, like one tip I'd say to starting terrain makers, yeah, look, look at books, look at guides, you know, because they can give you ideas and you can then apply them to, to other things that you want to you wanna make. Mm. And these days just look online, mm. everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I made. I originally, I originally made the boards themselves four by four boards out of out of cardboard, and I um I cut four two by two pieces, and I had I had them stuck together with some uh, gaffer tape so that I could fold them up and unfold them. Old school. And, yeah, and then I eventually, some years later, then made them uh, proper wood boards. Yeah. Um. The the Moria board, what I actually did is 
I painstakingly kind of filed lines. Scoured, I Scoured, yes. The word you're looking for. Scoured lines into them in a grid, a grid pattern to make the tiles of, of a floor. And then over that pattern, I... um. Looks amazing, by worth the way. It, yeah. Worth it, yeah. Worth it. Those little... Worth the effort. But I've got a little tip for how to do that yeah. in about 20 minutes if you need to do it the night before a yeah. tournament. Yeah. <laughs> when was that? <laughs> so then I, yeah, put sand over that. And I guess I guess the defining feature of that board is these these giant pillars, Mario pillars that I made. And I I think for me, like a lot of my terrain comes has come about from the materials that, that I have. And I got myself i can't even remember where i picked it up on but there was this massive giant block of polystyrene that i got from building sites <laughs> yeah i think i think it was from a building site somehow it was just just this massive block and i had it sitting there and i just thought that would be awesome to make some big pillars out of and so so i take you asked permission to obtain that block of foam yeah well i called some strings called some friends up yeah i picked it up somehow before we I do not condone <laughs> stealing Sounds very suspicious. i got this mysterious honestly, block yeah. from maybe a building site which i don't quite remember yeah. no, and if I i'm put on trial for it i definitely wouldn't no, no, we understand. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long time ago i remember to cut it i had to get uh i had, had to make those, his own yeah I had one of those Games Workshop foam cutters from back in the day. Oh, with wow. the wire and the heat up. In the, they don't make anymore. I, there's a reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that was nowhere going to be big enough. So There's a reason for this. <laughs> Just listen. <laughs> with my, um, Got some batteries. My dad, who's quite the kind of handyman, as it were, can make a lot of like, kind of electrical things. We, we got this big, thick piece of wire. And we kind of attached that to one end <laughs> of electricity, the and then got a, a bit uh, one end of the cutter, and wow. then got a bit of the cutting wire and attached that across, and basically made this a big giant... makeshift cutter. Wow. And it took both of us at the same time to be pulling it down to actually cut this polystyrene. There is a day for work health safety, <laughs> but it is not this day. I'm so glad you can laugh about it now because that was a real tragic event at the time, wasn't it? Just to, to have the. Yes, you got your phone board, but to have the loss of your father for a, a task like <laughs> 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 oh, Very, very funny. Now, my dad's done worse things than that. Like, whoa, whoa, all right. In the ceiling, but... <laughs> I um, think there's probably something we probably might want to keep off the air. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm um, um, getting uh, flashbacks to some of my uh, theatre shows that I've uh, been a part of. Yeah, but no, yeah, so, yeah, and then I, um, and then I used phone card and stuff and painted it up. And one tip I use is... Uh, like you don't want to spray polystyrene like that with with spray paint. Cause <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> so unless you're going for that specific melted, yep. yeah, volcanic death world. I'm look. melting. And oh, I'll, I'll actually get back to that because yeah, I kind of that's something that I didn't kind of learn for myself because it was back in my yeah. early days. I sprayed a bit of polystyrene and I was like, ooh, that doesn't work. <laughs> Wait um, a second. And so then I thought, how can I go around this? And I'm sure it's a trick that everyone uses these days, but like it was just some, at the time I came up with myself is, oh, why don't I paint it with PVA glue to create this, you know, mm. shield. Yeah, that, yeah. that's a good one. And, and, and back before sort of the, the internet days, and then I remember doing that as well and super gluing my, my foam to the board and then couldn't understand why it yeah. sort of was eating yes. up <laughs> and it ju- just died. And, it took me a while to work it out. I was young at yeah. the time, tried it again, glued it again, and just sort of watching it melt away. <laughs> you probably see these fumes coming yeah. up that are mm. not particularly good. For, spines a bit. But, <laughs> um, yeah, don't use don't don't use anything but PVA. Anything water based is okay. Anything that's yep. a solvent based is not yeah. a good idea on polystyrene. Mm. They don't like each other. 
But it was interesting that chemistry. But knowing <laughs> science. But it was interesting knowing that that happened. That when you sprayed polystyrene, that it kind of melted away like that. Actually, gave me a really good idea when I was making one of my display boards. Uh, it's a Goblin Town display board, and it has a kind of rock feature at the back. And originally, what I was just planning to do is I had this chunk of polystyrene, and I was just going to cut it, and I was just going to shape it into rock. And again, it was a bit too hard to cut with a foam cutter or a knife because it's a bit too big. So I just started ripping away at it with my hand. And when when I did that, I started to notice this kind of, it looked kind of cool, you know, the way I ripped <laughs> away at it. And I thought, hang on, what if, if I was to spray this lightly, it would melt away a bit. So I did a test and it looked really cool. So I ended up sprayed it all with paint it melted into it and created this really now cool this rock doesn't effect. look as doesn't isn't as dumb as it sounds mm. it we looks, probably should yeah. pictures yeah. would help yeah. drastically here we'll, i love the idea that your terrain making is like an adventure film yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> who knows what you get we'll risk it we'll make an electric device which might cause death to cut this massive block of foam that we've lifted from a building site while the builders are chasing us but it's <laughs> worth it it's so amazing but yeah. well that's for me that's what uh, it's it's pretty accurate actually. My terrain <laughs> mating's been an adventure. It's just been about being creative, about trying different things, and just seeing what you come up with. And and half my terrain has started as one thing and ended up as something else. You know, it's just about having that adventure, trying different things, seeing how they work. Sometimes getting they inspiration. Don't. Sometimes so basically, basically learning from your mistakes, mm. learning from. Mm. You fail as well, yeah. And I take it those blood effects on your your Moria border <laughs> are the real article. <laughs> yeah. yeah <baby>. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so you've got your two, you've got your your Moria board mm. and you've got your Goblin Town display board, which yeah. is the one that you sprayed. Yeah. But the Moria board also, it's got the pylons, but it's also yeah. got the, the rocky bridges and all yeah. the different stuff from the movies and mm. looks it's awesome. It's got the walkways and that was, yeah, following. I'm, I'm always a fan of the deep chasms. Yeah, the yes. bottomless pits are so fun to play on. So time. awesome. Or lava. Yes. <laughs> well, you didn't have lava, but that's fine. Yeah. I'm a, a big fan of lava and bottomless pits. Bottomless so pits good. are better than lava. Well, I like even the just idea using that water. the board will fight back. It doesn't like having models walked across. And I love that. I just imagine the sound of the model screaming as they fall down that bottomless pit. And then yeah. the they push a bell down. What do they call that old stock scream that they put in every movie? A well hung scream. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's the one we get. That's the one we get. That one. Sorry, I can't get that high. <laughs> Bit of a bass tone myself. But you, you basically, yeah, like you said, you, before you switched to your, your wooden base boards, you, mm. you had just a whole bunch of terrain that you would, you know, pick and choose to just set up terrain boards on mm. cardboard and on and, and just tables. For a while, I'm um, still using a little bit now, but I want to kind of redo it. But I made a kind of terrain generator. So basically, a different piece of terrain. This sounds dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not that kind of generator. Extinguisher. <laughs> oh my god, it's lava! <laughs> <laughs> but basically, what this is is a list and uh, randomizes the yeah. Terrain. So yeah, two, yeah. two, two dice. You can't. Like, and so from from two to twelve, a different piece of terrain for each. Sort of like the old legions. Yes, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, really I think it was made. Yeah. yeah, I originally made it back in the old legions days. I think, but yeah, stop you from like doing your impassable terrain. Now. Put your elves behind it because when fun. you're yes. when you're playing with the same people on the same board. You know, there can be a tendency to always just set it up in a similar way, you know. 
grab the yeah. same bits of stuff. So this kind of helps randomize, helps create a board that can be unique and different. And I think that's a uh, lesson for everyone as well when you're making terrain. I think, Jeremy, you mentioned this in the uh, in one of the early podcasts, is to sort of build it as sort of like scatter terrain, so like floating islands. Mm. So that yeah, you, can, you can move it around. Can or at least a around. mixture yeah. if, you want, if you want that. Although... Uh, my Helm's Deep board is mm-hmm. is absolutely 100% set terrain, and that's yeah. good for that. The problem with that one is, one, it takes up a lot of space, so it's mm-hmm. got to be either displayed proudly or stuck in the garage. Or and used it's... for uh... birthdays. Uh, my <laughs> son, my... <laughs> yes, we had a, a Prince theme for my son's birthday, oh, yeah. and that was... Um, that was a great way for me to get my terrain into the main room and, and yeah. it hasn't left there since, which is really, really good <laughs> for me. Yeah. Actually, we probably should take advantage of that at some it's, point. And have yeah, it's pretty great. We should. We should definitely, yeah. definitely get some rooks climbing some walls there. But yeah, I think the, the having terrain that you make that has maximum flexibility is really, really important. And it's something that I've probably only learned recently. I remember my first board that I made was for one of the first Raff of Rohan scenarios in the original Two Towers book. And what I had made was three pieces of two foot by four foot. I said 600 by something. 300? 300, yeah, no, 400? I'm not sure. But it, yeah, trying to work a metric in Imperial. But basically, one third of it had a really dense forest of trees all stuck in place. Then the middle board had half dense trees and then half open. And then by the final board was just some rocks and some paths. It looked, it looked amazing. I was really proud of it. I had, had that, but I just couldn't use it because yeah. transporting it was a pain. It was really, really hard to transport. It wasn't flexible in any way. It was actually hard to reach into the middle because the forest was so dense mm-hmm. that you had to sort of like reach in. And for anyone that doesn't have little spindly arms, it was really difficult. So poor Travis was just knocking <laughs> over trees, getting impaled on them. That's a, uh, yeah. Using his troll fingers and yeah. trying, to, trying to pick up the models. Can't even pick up small dice. I have to use the big. Yeah, the old uh, yeah, 24 yeah. mil dice here. Yeah. So sad. <laughs> Won't let you play with Lego. It's a hard Duplo. life. Oh, Le- don't get me started on Lego. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so that Memories. one, in the end, I decided that I'll cut all the trees off because I made a lot of trees and then I attached them all to wooden dowel. And now every time I make a terrain board, I drill holes in the terrain board if I want a forest and I can just plug the trees in. And I've got bags and bags of these trees because they're left over from this terrain. One of the first things I made, and it still turns up in every tournament that I provide terrain for, people still mm. play in that. And it was by far the best thing I made was these Dow trees that can just we recycle appear. Them. Mm. They go in any board. If I, instant forest, drill, 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 done. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, I think, I think that flexibility is really is an important point. Like some of the terrain I made, because I kind of made those two boards at the same time, I made some of the terrain which can kind of go on both both some of the rocky outcrops look just as fine on the grass board as they do on the mario board yeah so it's about having that flexibility so you can you can build those unique boards a different experience each time yeah i think on that as well would you guys agree that it would it's a good idea to have a really good base to put your tray onto like if you're making a six by four board having sort of like a modular sort of I'm trying to figure a way of articulating this. That you I'm probably could just answer the question Jeremy, and we'll you know say the I'm... thing that you're going to say. Yes, we do. At the moment, I've been using medium density fiberboard, which is MDF for short, yeah. um, mainly because it's incredibly cheap for, for what you get. It's relatively resistant to, yeah, Bunnings our hardware store, yeah. relatively resistant to warping, especially if you store it flat. It, mm. it tends to survive a lot. It does copy dint every now and then, but it's, it's reasonably strong. People, at tournaments, at gaming areas, are rough. 
Yeah. They they look at the terrain and they will test how strong it is. So they look at it. You've got this nicely carved foam valley. First thing they'll do is get their finger and they'll poke it as hard as they can into the foam, <laughs> make a nice dint in it, and and then look at it, oh, it breaks. And that's I've had that learned that the hard way. So now I make sure that any part that the models are going to go on, any part that the people are going to touch, are strong enough that if someone decides to to stress test them, they're going to survive. And that's that's usually an aim there. Now, with some exceptions, sometimes you get a break here and there. But having a really strong base, a little bit of weight to it that can hold up your table, it's really good. And what that means is you've got the flexibility where if you want to make a small board, you can lay out a couple sheets of MDF and have a small board. If you want to lay out a massive board, you can put them all together. Up to I you. Think, yeah. uh, we use what? Uh, for a 6x4 board, we use three 2x4. 2 by. No, I've been well, at the moment. Jeremy does it. Four foot. We use two. Uh, there's a couple ways. Of doing there's a couple it, ways. I, I yeah. use two, three, two by four boards, and I think Jeremy used four, yeah. two by three. At the moment, I'm a big fan of it's 600 mil by 900 mil, so roughly two foot by three foot. That put four together, you get a six by four board, which is a really nice size. And yeah. a lot of the new scenarios are, are drawn on rectangles. So I like the idea yeah. of some rectangles there. If you want to play a smaller board, you just mark an area off. I think um, as well. And then you've got um, places was... to put your dudes. Yeah, yeah some, some dead piles die. on the side in the, in the water. Um, but the nice thing about that is it fits in almost any car. So yeah. I don't expect everyone to use my vehicle or someone else's vehicle. I might ask someone else to transport it. I might lend it out to someone. And to be able to know that, any car boot, we're going to fit it in there, is really, really handy. Mm. Most of my 2x4s that really only fit in the back of the station wagons. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's well, right. <laughs> I, I went with 2x4s too because I like the idea of you put two together, maybe. Yeah, 4x4, four 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 four, three yeah. together. One for a two by yeah. Four. yeah, so I like the idea. So I've, I've found that I've transported mine in a few different cars. They tend to fit across the back seat of, of most of most cars is a way of getting them into yeah. most cars. So it usually just fits. Like yeah. the car's width is, mm. for Australian cars anyway, and yeah. I think overseas would be a bit different, but you tend to just fit them in, but it mm. often tends to be in the back seat at weird angles, yeah. whereas I find that the, the two by three are very easy to stack. So you can take yeah. you can mm. take four a panels, bunch. eight panels, yeah. and that's really good because I'm at the point now where I've got at least six boards, probably more, and I just Definitely need help. more. Definitely more. <laughs> I need help transporting them for, yeah. at times because they don't all fit but in. But it's worth it. Yeah. If you haven't looked at the pictures online from the Masters terrain, yeah, absolutely stunning. Mm. Pleasure to play on. And it comes, I suppose it comes back to that as a terrain maker, you, like you were saying, you want it to be playable. You want it to not yes, be breaking. Absolutely. You want it to be mm. awesome and, and epic as, to play as on. As well when with the sort of playability, um, you want to lay your table out in sort of an aesthetically pleasing manner as well. It's um one of my pet peeves is I walk into a tour of it and I look at the table and sort of terrain, bits of terrain thrown everywhere. And I'm like, why is that there? Why is there a village with a giant forest growing in the middle of it? That doesn't make any sense. But if you actually take the time, just five minutes, it, do- it doesn't help. Even that, I took two minutes per table at Masters and spent you know 15 minutes walking around between all the tables just to set them up in a, a way that was one aesthetically pleasing two was balanced and three models could fit in between the yep. the the terrain yeah, the, the, the pieces of terrain because there's one thing that irks me is when you're like oh that gap is two millimeters short and i can't put my, my troll yeah no, I, I think you might have touched uh, on that before as well. yeah, yeah i yeah. think we've talked about that but i, I want to go in a bit more about the actually laying out the table because yep. i think people naturally try and make a mirror image to start with mm. so they'll say put one house on this side one house on that side put one forest over this yeah. side one forest over that side which 
initially makes sense from a from a balance point of view because it's even, but it's not the same. But we want some choices in the game. You want to you yep. want to look at the table and go, "Ooh, this is I could move my army here. Strategic What's the challenge? Playoffs. What's yeah. the challenge over here?" And houses look better as a group because that's what people would do. Unless there's a farmyard around them and and it's obviously yeah. a, like a rural area, you wouldn't have one house with a couple of forests there, and then on the other side of the board, another one with no road or nothing connecting them. <laughs> you want to you want to lay them out in a way that looks like it could be realistic. And fences, are, I think, are one as well where people just put them randomly scattered there, which they don't look like they're doing anything. Whereas if you yeah. lay them out with yeah. maybe some gaps between them, yeah. but it looks yeah. like you've had an old fence line or um, a divide between a forest and yeah. a village. And I think that actually helps, even with competitive games, actually helps competitive games because like Jeremy said it gives brings choice into the game suddenly where you place your objectives and dominations becomes important mm, it's not oh, it doesn't matter because all the trains are saying there's yep. better pieces of yeah everywhere. put it in the middle of a forest okay. are you willing to yeah, risk going I'm going to place forest? my objective in the middle of the forest I'm going to place my objective in the middle of this village yep. uh, in this tower mm, suddenly the terrain gets opened up and especially with the missions where you come on as a reinforcements it's suddenly do I go down the dense side of the table that's probably going to slow down my troops a bit more but it's going to give me better cover or do I go down the open side that I'm going to be able to run across easier but it's not a much cover from shooting. So you get this, you get more options and more ebb and flow in the game and suddenly where you're fighting on the table is important. Matters, yeah. Yeah. And going on that, also where your table is located, Like at the moment there's been a real push in our area to, to name the tables so give them yeah. a location in yeah. Middle Earth, and that we've got so much rich background to say this is Moria, this is Dolgaldor, this is Amonhen, this Harad. is Pelagia. Yeah. It's Sorry really, really good to be able to do that from a story point yeah. of view. I love it just to to yeah. look at it and go, yeah. I'm fighting in Harrod instead well, of I'm fighting in generic one one tree, one house yeah. land. Yeah, I think the fact that Masters we decided as sort of the TO group decided we're not going to number the tables, we're just going to call them by what location they are, and and mispronounce everyone as well. I was really yeah. impressed with that one. No, that's, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> and one brand, was it? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. But they were some awesome tables. It was, it was more, great. you're playing on this table and people knew exactly what table it was. It wasn't, you're playing on table three and then people sort of sit back for a minute going, which one's table three again? Yeah, it actually it's, was, it was it, better It actually, that. surprisingly, I think it works a bit better for Lord of the Rings than some of the other systems since we have such iconic places, but... Mm makes it easy to find your table if you know yeah, you're playing yeah. an arm on hand and there's only one table with a giant arm on hand on it. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I have to say on that subject. <laughs> That's a lie. To wrap this up too. <laughs> Thank Just you, Jerry. Hopefully I get to be host one day. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get your chance. Hopefully. Maybe. I'll it depends if I want to give up my throne of power. Mm-hmm. I have my resume here. I'm ready to be interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, Tim. Uh, thank you, no Thomas worries. and Jeremy, for joining me here for episode three of the Drink Dragon podcast. And remember, <laughs> practice makes perfect. Oh, no, wait. Uh, I t- Heroic <laughs> actions win might. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, do any of you have any uh, last remarks or last words? But evidently, you've already said Traps them, are somewhat so. useful in order to get an advantage in your games. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, <again>. thank you <laughs>